Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. That's the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Max Williams on our ones and twos. Give him a hand. Give him several. Uh, and uh, keep did you few- whoop yourself, Max? Uh, I did. I thought it was. Yeah. I thought it was a. Uh, I thought it was a good thing to do. I mean, I it's if, you know, good. if you can't whoop yourself, then then who can you whoop? Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. You got to be the whoop you want to hear in the world, mm-hmm. uh, as, as our much maligned Condi quote goes. Uh, they call me Ben Noel. Welcome back, man. Uh, we just Thanks, had. Dude. Yeah, we just had last week, we had uh, our great crossover with our pals at Ridiculous News. That was a ton of fun. Uh, It set us up for a history of yodeling podcast in the future. But but today, uh, while Max is no doubt secretly gathering a treasure trove of Wilhelm screams and odd yodel clips, uh, you and I wanted to talk about kind of a tragic story. Like a real weird one. Yeah. So you can almost call it ridiculously tragic. Um, there's some humor in here uh, every now and again, but buckle up. Uh, ridiculous stories. Today's story is not the most upbeat one of all time. And it is the story of Maria Eleonora of Brandenburg, who was born on the 11th of November, 1599 in Königsberg. Her parents were John Sigismund, uh, who was the elector of Brandenburg, and his wife uh, was Anna, the Duchess of Prussia. Her mom had a reputation as being a little bit domineering, let's just say, uh, and she was raised with a strict Lutheran upbringing. Yeah, and this is, uh, this is, I think, one of the first tragedies, because often 
here in 2022, we have these assumptions about members of the aristocracy. And the assumption is that these folks would have much higher than average access to education and that their lives would often be much easier than the lives of the common person. Unfortunately, because of, of course, the rank misogyny of the time, this isn't always the case. And so Maria Eleonora, who was a smart person, she didn't have the opportunity to get a lot of formal education because of her mother's kind of domineering beliefs. Instead, her talents exhibited themselves in things like embroidery or drawing and music. And it's funny because you'll see a lot of historians describing her as, quote, the most beautiful queen in all of Europe. Uh, You can see more about this on historyofroyalwomen.com. But it's weird because there aren't actually a ton of biographies written about her. And, you know, when you when you think about it in the larger context, it's possible that she may have been overshadowed by other people in the ruling line, particularly King Gustavus Adolphus and Queen Christina. And we I, I should mention here that uh, being described as beautiful in these scant biographies, is not the same thing as being described as good. People are dunking on her left and right in the historical record. They call Maria Eleonora, what, unstable, lavish. Some people even called her stupid, which I think is unfair. Yeah, it definitely is unfair. Um, You know, and and the trajectory of her life was obviously in most every single way completely out of her control. So in 1616, Gustavus Adolphus, soon to be crowned the king of Sweden. Uh, He's 22 years old at this point. He's looking for um, a a bride, specifically one of Protestant um, upbringing. And Maria Eleonora kind of fit the bill. He heard wind of all this talk of this beautiful uh, 17-year-old princess, and he decided he wanted to, you know, put her on the short list of, uh, of potential suitors for him. So this came together pretty quickly. Um, he got the blessing of her parents, John Sigismund uh, and uh, Anna, and they got hitched. Uh, Maria Eleonora and King Gustavus Adolphus marriage was arranged by the court uh, in Sweden and Maria's family over there in Brandenburg. Although it was a little bit controversial on the onset, it wasn't like immediately just like a thumbs up all around. Maria's brother, George William, who is the Duke of Prussia, was worried that it was going to cause political tensions between their country and uh, their neighbors in Poland, who controlled a very important strategic piece of land, a coastal strip there in Prussia. So he would have likely preferred, you know, from this uh, geopolitical kind of strategic point of view that uh, she get hitched with, um, you know, a, a royal from Poland so they would have more easy access to this uh, this piece of land. But that is not the way it went. No, no. And this might sound a bit strange for people who have not had <laughs> had a marriage occurring in the 16th century amongst the aristocracy, but the idea of marrying for romantic love took a heck of a backseat to the idea of playing the games of politics. So this actually, these kind of conversations weren't unusual for this time. At one point, in fact, Duchess Anna wrote a letter to the queen's mother, the queen dowager Christina, and 
said, look, don't you understand our point of view? We're not so different, you and I. We both want to make sure our children have suitable candidates that, you know, who doesn't want their kid to have a good partner in marriage? But Christina, even though she's like, I feel you, I feel you. I have a different perspective. She says, I think a union between Brandenburg and Sweden overall can only be a win-win. It can only be beneficial. A couple things happen. By 1619, John Sigismund dies. George William is raised to power. And his mother, the Duchess, is not vibing with the way this guy resolves political issues. And after Four years of negotiation, Gustavus Adolphus is invited to Berlin, and in secret, he meets with both the Duchess and her daughter. Uh, George William is in Prussia at the time and unawares of this. So there's a there's a dinner, and it's classy. It's all above board. There are chaperones and whatnot. And during <laughs> this time, you know, the king in person proposes to Maria Eleonora, and she says, yes, so cue the rom-com sounds, you know, the wedding bells, and so on and so on. And (laughs) the Duchess's son, who had no idea his mom was capable of this level of scheming, is protesting. He's like, hey, no, this isn't what we talked about. And so the Duchess responds by smuggling her daughter out of Brandenburg to Mecklenburg, and then a couple of Swedish ships take her away. They take her to Kalmar. They travel for a month at sea. And then Maria Eleonora arrives at Kalmar in October of 1620. The wedding takes place very shortly thereafter in Stockholm. Uh, and one of the details we know about it is apparently she was wearing an awesome dress. That's like yeah. one of the big. No, yeah, details. definitely. It, it, it made the uh, it made the, the front page of all the the tabloids of note at the time. Uh, what was the equivalent of that? Was there had to have been like kind of gossipy uh, publications, you know, kind yeah. of like rumor mill type rags. You know, I, I like to think. I was thinking of this too, Noel. I like to think that instead of different newspapers with varying levels of credibility, there were different town criers. And like the tabloid town crier is either just a a ruthless liar uh, and malcontent or maybe dead drunk all the time. And sometimes the guy's right. And then sometimes it's just stuff he came up with on wet brain. (laughs) Although I have to say uh, where royalty is concerned, I would imagine they would take that stuff pretty seriously. If they had someone screaming out uh, slanderous, you know, lies in the town square, they might come for that dude's head. But, you know, like we, we often see in these historical matchmaking kind of scenarios, there's a bit of like a kind of learning curve when you um, adapt to a new culture, uh, especially once you've been like, you know, secretly smuggled at sea. And that was no exception for, uh, for Maria. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. She had a bit of a hard time adapting to her new life. Uh, during the 17th century, Stockholm was kind of like in a state of flux. It was always being uh, developed. There were always new uh, buildings being built and, you know, things being kind of like uh, worked on at all times. And uh, the court really, really wanted to have a capital that was worthy of, you know, the great cities of the world. Uh, and so Maria Eleonora wanted to be a force, you know, to help uh, push that transformation through. And um, she thought that Stockholm was kind of a little bit basic. She thought of it as cold and austere and, you know, felt kind of isolated from all of the other kind of great, you know, seats of, of government and power in Europe. 
where she came from in Berlin, uh, which is obviously a really, you know, massively cosmopolitan city, this was a real kind of bummer. Um, it was very depressing to her. But she saw the potential. You know, and she uh, had an eye for this kind of stuff, apparently. And so she started ordering all of these incredible artisanal craftspeople like goldsmiths and pearl knitters uh, and, and, and you know, fine artists like ballet dancers and musicians to come in from France and Germany uh, to help kind of create a cultural uh, seat there uh, in Stockholm. And that made her, you know, gave her a reputation as being sort of this patron for the arts within the Swedish court and, and also established her uh, as a person of some uh, notable taste. Mm -hmm. And again, remember that when her access to formal education was limited, she spent a lot of time learning what we would call the arts. Uh, Want to give a shout out real quick to Monique Blocks over there at History of Royal Women, as well as Barbara Stepko over at the awesome Vintage News. Now we're getting to the uh, now we're getting to the rough part of the very strange Pixar film. So. Like you said, Noel, she did possess this genuine interest in all things art, right? She also loved architecture. Uh, she would draw sketches of churches, palaces. She loved music. She was super into fashion. And she found that the king shared these interests, at least to some extent. And lo and behold, they won the romantic lottery. They actually fell in love with each other. And nice. I know, right? And it, this didn't always happen with royal we're still, marriages. We're still in the happy part of the Pixar movie at this point because that is kind of the twist, right? Where you have, that's sort of something you'll see in like Disney's where you'll see these like kind of couples that are, you know, kind of betrothed against their will and then ultimately through through all of the trials and tribulations that they face, you know, find uh, actual love at the heart of it. So that's kind of where we're at. So things are looking good, right? Well, uh, see, I think, I think what I'm doing is laying the seed for the twist because she was so in love with the king that every ah. time he had to be away for a while, which he did because, you know, he has to do king king business, she would fall into the depths of dire depression. Oh, no. and, and this guy was fighting out in the field often. And so she couldn't eat. She couldn't sleep. Uh, she was just... She was worried beside about him. herself. Yeah, she's worried about him because she loves the guy. And uh, then... She has her own job, and this is not something that we look kindly upon in the modern day. But back then, as her position required, uh, she had one big, big job, bigger than all the decoration, bigger than all the patronage of the arts. She had to give the king a son. And this is yeah, where things which, start to get weird. <laughs> and, and as we know, uh, you know, like with, was it King Henry VIII who kept having his wives that wouldn't give him a son uh, killed uh, for yeah. various trumped up charges. Uh, but now we know that, of course, it is the male side of that uh, love connection that, that, that produces the, uh, the, the material needed to generate a male, right? Yeah, exactly. But God forbid you say the king was at fault for anything in general. So, oh, no. yeah. No, you would never. Um, so this is something that's, that's, that's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure to, to you know, mm -hmm. to produce a male heir. And she clearly got pregnant very quickly uh, after the wedding because it was eight months after the ceremony that she gave birth to a daughter. Uh, not only was that 
a bummer for all concerned. Um, but uh, but the, Stevens, more sadly, the baby was in fact stillborn. So a couple of years later, she got pregnant again, had another daughter, uh, not looking good. They named her Christina, uh, and she was given the title of the heiress presumptive. <laughs> How presumptuous uh, wow. of Sweden, of the Swedish throne. And then she died at 11 months. And then in 1625, Maria gave birth uh, for the third time. And this was, ta-da, a boy. It's a boy. Everyone's thrilled. Uh, except, no, the baby was also stillborn. Yeah, exactly. And this, this is a struggle. You know, infant mortality is higher in this time in history. And she's not going to give up. There's a rare... Yeah. Pause in battle in 1626, Gustavus returns to Stockholm. And then not too long after, December 7th, Maria Eleonora gives birth for the fourth time. And this, okay, so this made me look kindly on Gustavus. So the baby is born, the baby is healthy, and the baby is thought to be, well, the baby's overall healthy. There's nothing, you know, like, functionally wrong with the child, but they have something called fleece lanugo, which is a, uh, it's a condition where there's this unpigmented kind of soft downy hair that covers a newborn body. In this instance, the kid was entirely covered from head to knees with just face and I think arms and lower legs visible without the hair. Everybody assumed this was a boy, and then yeah. when they looked through the downy hair, they said, oh, no, this is a girl, and people are scared that the king is going to be mad, uh, and they try to hide this truth from him, but unlike Henry Henry VIII, Gustavus is kind of cool about it. He even has this line where he says, well, you know, I think she's going to be quite clever. She took us all in, meaning... Oh, she yeah. fooled us. I thought that was cool dad energy. Super cool dad energy. CDE. Uh, cool dad energy. Uh, yeah, baby coming out looking like a little abominable snowman, you know? But uh turns out it was an abominable snow, snow girl. And he decided to name her Christina. This is the second Christina um, after the previous one that had passed away. Uh, and that's after his mother. Um, and he ordered that her arrival be uh, announced to the court with the same level of fanfare that would have been associated with a male heir. So again, Ben, to your point, pretty progressive, cool guy. But his wife did not seem to share that enthusiasm. Yeah. That's putting it lightly. Right. That's that's the thing. So, okay, here we go. If you were looking back on the actions we're about to describe with the benefit of retrospect, you would probably say the queen was suffering from postpartum depression. So the court is already entering the realm of public relations and politics at this point. They hold off on announcing that this child is a girl. And when Maria Eleonora learns this, she says, quote, instead of a son, I am given a daughter, dark and ugly, with a great nose and black eyes. Take her from me. I will not have such a monster, which is a terrible thing to say about your child. And then accidents start happening. 
Oh, yeah. You know, accidents happen, but also where there's smoke, there's fire. If we're going to link to, um, you know, cliches together. Um, yeah, like a beam fell and almost uh, came close to like pancaking this baby uh, in its crib where it lay. The little girl, Christina, uh, actually took a really bad tumble down a flight of stairs. A nursemaid who was, uh, who was taking care of her was blamed for dropping Christina onto a stone floor. And this really happened. Uh, it actually resulted in a, uh, an injury um, that uh, caused her to have a malformed shoulder for, for the rest of her life, kind of like a crooked like shoulder. Because, of course, they would not have been able to treat something like that as effectively today. I'm sure they could have you know, restored it and made it look normal again. But this is something that she carried around for the rest of her life. Uh, Gustavus Adolphus at this point, knows something is wrong. <laughs> Not necessarily saying that he knew that she had it in for this baby, but he knew that she was not well and described her as being a very sick woman. This is his wife, Maria, of course. Yeah, exactly. And so there are obviously a lot of contextual factors here. We have to remember she had already lost three children. She had for some time felt isolated. You know, she felt like a foreigner in this new land. And this feeling of isolation was only exacerbated uh, in 1627 when her brother joined Sweden's enemies. Her husband was constantly, constantly about to get killed because he was on these military campaigns. Uh, that same year, 1627, he had, in the space of one year, both fallen sick and been pretty grievously wounded. Two years after that, he barely made it out of a place called Stum without being killed, uh, causing Maria Eleanor to write, when I know that my most beloved Lord is coming, then all my sickness and panic fall away. There's a word that the uh, medical experts of this time used to describe. Was it clingy? It is <laughs> hysteria, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. And because she was so whoosh, whoosh, hysterical, the king, who, you know, you're starting, we're starting to get the sense maybe he didn't have the same depth of affection. Uh, the king did not allow his spouse to have almost any influence in the upbringing of her own daughter. And he said, we're going to raise her like a boy. And she's, she's going to be in the care of her aunt. And uh, she's going to go to military reviews. We're going to teach her how to ride, to shoot. We'll teach her how to hunt. Uh, and then, <laughs> and so eventually, Christina is uh, what you might call a tomboy. She knows a few mm -hmm. pretty choice, dirty jokes. She curses like a sailor. Um, I, it, it's weird. I have a hard time with this one, Max Knoll, because for the time, a man of his position, this guy seems kind of almost in, in just even this small instance, he seems almost progressive because he's saying like, let's not force her to be locked away in some Rapunzel-esque ivory tower. Let's sure. teach her life skills. I, I agree with you on that. I also think that maybe he's experiencing his own kind of hysteria too, where it's like, mm -hmm. I didn't get my male heir and my wife has kind of lost it. So I'm just going to like, you know, move forward in this, uh, in this way and, and raise this uh, young woman as a man, which yes, it's progressive, but it's like, is there some, some going on there too? That's causing him mm. to like, almost like have this delusion kind of, I wonder, good question. I, I'm just not a hundred percent sure. Mm -hmm. It's a good question. 
And that's a good point about her condition because it appears to deteriorate for a, um, it, it appears to be cyclical or it waxes and wanes. That's the best way to say it. When the king leaves to fight in the Thirty Years' War, of course, the the queen is not feeling very good about it. She's going through it, as they would say in the parlance of our time. She writes a bunch of letters to the chancellor begging him to let her accompany her husband to Germany. So she moves her entire court to Wolgast Castle and spends most of her days writing correspondence to members of the family. Sometimes in these letters, it seems like there's a light at the end of the tunnel because she was allowed to relocate with this guy who's her one true love. And she starts even saying nicer things about her daughters, mainly the, the people who want to date her daughter, or in this case, you know, marry her daughter. And she seems excited about being able to be closer to her husband, maybe spend a little more time with him. And then two years after that, November of 1632, in the Battle of Lutzen, Adolphus is shot in the back dragged by his horse. He manages to get free of the horse for a second, but then he is killed by a gunshot to the head. Oh, no. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino <laughs> and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. 
Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Yeah, and so his body is embalmed, it's taken to wool gas. Maria sees his cadaver and she physically clings to her husband's remains. They can't get him back to Sweden because the Baltic Sea is frozen at this time uh, in in November and, and toward the end of the year. And she like her staff is starting to worry about her. Because she's keeping the guy's body around and going and yeah. like, hugging it. I mean, this is the this is her worst nightmare. You know, all of these kind of um, psychological uh, episodes have been brought on by his absence, and she feared for his life. You know, when he was in battle, and this is the thing that she feared worst of all all this time. So it's absolutely triggering. She writes some very heavy kind of mournful reflections about what's going on here. And it kind of gives you a glimpse into her uh, state of mind. Since we, uh, she says, God pity us. Uh, We are so rarely granted the pleasure of enjoying the living presence of his majesty, our adored dearest master and spouse of blessed memory. It should at least be granted to us to stay near his royal corpse and so draw comfort in our miserable existence. Wow. It's like she's seen the crow, you know, uh, yeah, it's super it's, goth. It's super goth. Super That's dark. The word. Yeah. yeah. So his heart had already been removed to be separately preserved. That was a religious thing, right? Uh, it, was, it was a common practice. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Maria Eleanor keeps that organ with her. Not She doesn't just keep it with her all the time. She carries it around with her. And when she goes to sleep, she hangs it in a classy container above her bed, and she weeps inconsolably for months and months and months. Uh, And in it's not until August of 1633, the king's body is finally able to be transported back to Sweden. And this is where Christina, who is now seven years old, shows up in the procession to the ship to meet her mom. And then later she writes about it and she says, I embraced the queen, my mother. She drowned me with her tears and smothered me in her arms. Dude, Maria Eleanor. She's doing a bit of a WTF herself, isn't she? She's like, what is up with this? It's It's been a long time. Yeah, and Maria Eleanor, as she relocates, she, you know, gets her royal suite, gets her bedroom and everything, and she puts her husband's coffin unsealed in her bedroom, and it sounds like 
Maria Eleanor was regularly opening it, gazing upon the corpse and taking her daughter, who was her daughter has to deal with the fallout of this. Remember, this kid is like seven years old again. Uh, they have to. But very sharp. Right. Very sharp. But she has to Christina has to um, be in mourning with her. Her mom basically forces her to do this. So they spend all their time in these rooms that are draped in black and blackout curtains lit by candles, no ray of light, natural light, sunlight is allowed in. She makes her daughter sleep with her in a bed with the heart of the father hanging over, uh, over them in a golden casket. They're like constantly sermons and and religious statements and of course the entire time Maria Eleanor is still beset with grief and she is still weeping uh constantly and the daughter that she once treated so poorly she now clings to right because in a way it's a living memory of this man she loved it's a messed up situation yeah and it gets kind of more messed up from here if that's at all possible uh let's not forget that um you know this this young woman when she was born her mother essentially completely rejected her and it was only because of her father who is now dead that she was even allowed to thrive at all you know and be treated like a human and now she's having to kind of kowtow to her mother's overly dramatic mourning. And I'm not, look, I know when people die that we love, uh, it's 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 very hard. Um, and a lot of this is also wrapped up in clear mental illness. So not trying to make light or say that like Maria Eleanor is being like extra here or something, but it's a lot when you have someone that is just inconsolable and you are the only one that is able to even attempt to console them. And that can be very taxing and it can get to a place, a level of almost abuse. And I would say that's where we're at here um, with the seven-year-old girl uh, being forced to sleep in the bed with her constantly weeping mother with the heart of her father hanging over it and all of this kind of macabre stuff. And it takes a toll on Christina. Oh, not to mention that Christina, you know, who, who has uh, clearly some insecurity about this uh, malformed shoulder condition that she had, again, as a result of her mother's, um, you know, kind of despising her. I guess she wasn't treated uh, with very much care um, when she was a kid. And I would argue that probably led to what happened with that. Though we don't necessarily have any evidence that her mother like colluded to have her killed, it certainly seems like there was a lot of a uh, lot of accidents that were happening in and around the the court where her mother was in charge. Her mother also keeps this kind of cadre of uh, dwarves and um, kind of like you know jester types, you know, who may have had some uh, conditions of their own and uh, what would have been referred to as hunchbacks, the condition where, you know, people have like a very big growths kind of on their back and uh, walk um, in a bent over fashion. She did not like being around these people because it made her kind of even more insecure about her own uh, malformation. Mm -hmm. So she really despised this whole kind of situation. Everything about it was just beyond depressing and macabre and it took a toll on her she started to get ill she had a, a serious ulcer that appeared on her chest uh, and caused her a lot of pain um, it was basically like almost like a boil uh, and it gave her a really bad fever and then all of a sudden it burst um, which is just you know pretty pretty gross to say the least and that uh, was probably pretty shocking uh, it Ooh. did cause her fever to break though so that was good and she did uh, she did survive this the court and the council and, you know, the governing structures move on. They're trying to make progress. 
And so it comes to pass in the summer of 1634, the king's body is finally, finally interred, put to rest in the Ritterholm Church in Stockholm against the ardent opposition of Maria Eleanor, the widow. And so this interment doesn't last long because like the next day, basically, Maria Eleonora says, you've got to open the coffin again. Uh, she is in a prolonged mental crisis. You can rightly call this a mental crisis. And she starts talking about how much she hates the entire, like the idea of Sweden, the rocks, the mountains, the freezing air, she says, all the rest of it. Uh, she preserves the memory of her heroic husband, and he was heroic. And she kept, like she could not, move past this. And eventually the Regency Council, the people who would handle the affairs of state while the, the queen, Christina, is you know growing into her majority. Eventually the council is like, we have to separate Christina from her mom. Her mom is acting so weird. But Maria protests and, and weeps so bitterly that eventually nothing is going to be done and later, Christina says, the dreary ceremonies and all the sad people were way worse for me than my dad's actual death. And uh, everybody said, everybody in the council said, look, Maria Eleonora cannot have any influence on the decisions of the court while her daughter is still a minor. Part of that is the... Uh, the idea of her presumably uh, fragile mental state. But the other part was that the, the Swedish rulers and the Swedish kingmakers, I should say, thought that Maria Eleonora was way too friendly with the Danish. Like she might be a threat to the security of Sweden. That's really what they thought. And they might not have been too far off. No, um, the counselor uh, claimed that Maria Eleonora had written a letter to him talking about how there was a Danish envoy that she had a relationship with um, who she might be able to kind of help uh, arrange a, a discussion of marriage between Christina and the Danish prince Ulrich. And because of that, she was regarded as a threat uh, and the court really started like keeping tabs on her. So probably not the smartest thing to have uh, brought up in an official correspondence, you know, since the Danish people were not particularly well-liked in this part of the country. Yeah, exactly. And so this, this is not an unreasonable fear on their side. You know what I mean? In 1636, as a result of these conversations and concerns, the queen essentially loses parental rights. She loses custody, you could say. She loses access to her daughter, Christina. She's transferred to Gripsholm Castle. And at this point in her life, she wants, she just wants to go back to Brandenburg, but the government won't let her visit. So she says, look, I am going to take agency over my own life, and I'm going to get out of here by hook or by crook. So she contacts the guy who's like, Sweden's public enemy number one right now the Danish king, Christian IV, and they start negotiating in secret. And so she puts on a disguise in July of 1640 and escapes the castle. First, she goes to this island called Gotland. Get it? Because you've got land? 
Anyway, and there are two Danish warships, no apologies, Max. There are two Danish warships waiting to abscond with her. Uh, They were supposed to take her to Brandenburg, but instead she's talking to the captain. She says, take me to Denmark instead. King Christian was not expecting this. He's got a surprise guest, but he gets stuck with her. And George Williams, Maria's uh, brother, refuses to receive her. So she has to wait until George William dies in December of that same year to enter Germany. And now the new German elector, the, the new head decision maker, says, okay, you can stay here, but Sweden has to pay your bills. And Christina by now is a teenager. How stressful is this? You're, you're a teenager and you have to negotiate a pension for your mom. Uh, and that's, that's what this kid has to do. Uh, she's had a hard life by all accounts, honestly. So let's fast forward a little because I think there are some there are some not terrible things that happen. Sweden is no longer participating in the war by 1648. Christina is now 22. And as a result of these things, Maria Eleonora is able to finally go back to Stockholm. She missed her daughter. And Christina, at the very least, thought, you know, it makes us look bad to have my mom exiled, basically. And so she comes, Maria comes back and she spends most of her time watching escapades or performances by nights and then watching balls or attending ballets that are arranged by the court. In 1650, she goes to her daughter's coronation. Her daughter buys a castle for her close to the royal residence in Stockholm. And, um, I don't think Christina liked being queen. No, I don't think so at all. And and that uh, was pretty clear from her actions four years later. She actually abdicated her throne, gave it away to her cousin, Charles Gustav. She didn't go into super duper detail about what was um, behind this decision, but she did offer a few uh, potential explanations. Um, She said, whether she believed it to be true or not, that a man was better suited to rule the Swedish army. And that she just needed a break, that she was exhausted. I mean, of course it would be exhausting to fill this kind of role. But she definitely buried the lead in that she had recently converted to Roman Catholicism, which, as we know, was absolutely uh, verboten in absurdly Lutheran Sweden. But she, she did have some concerns about how this decision to give up the throne might affect her her money situation, you know, her pocketbook. So Christina and Charles did assure her that um, the queen dowager would, would be provided, that would be her, her, her name at this point, would be provided for until her death. And that was the case. And she died on March 18th of 1655 and was laid to rest in Ritterholm Church, next to her husband um, and two of of her children that she had before Christina. Yep. And at the time, where was the former Queen Christina? Well, she was touring across Europe, making waves of her own because she was wearing a man's suit, as the quote goes. And here we end on a tragic story a reign that is much maligned. And, you know, I believe, fellow ridiculous historians, that when you look at when you look at the context of Maria Eleanor of Brandenburg's life, what you see is that in in many ways, 
The odds were stacked against her. She dealt with tremendous tragedy. She had often very little agency in her life. And like most people, she just wanted to be happy. So maybe when we talk about the lives of royals from times past, uh, we should all take a little moment to realize that they too are just human beings like everyone else. I think that's an okay takeaway, and I hope you can agree as well. Yeah, so it's a bit of a bummer of a story, but I do like the uh, progressive angle. You know, the king ended up kind of being the less of a villain in the story than a king would often be in these situations. So that was kind of neat. It was definitely a twist. But yeah, very unhappy life of this woman. But it would seem that Christina really owned that upbringing that her father gave her, that military kind of upbringing. And you would wonder if this is a character that is uh, someone to look towards in terms of uh, gender fluidity and things like that. It's this very interesting time for this to be something so out front, right? To to wear the suit and all of that, and to really lean into that role. So I don't know. I want to. I want to learn more about Christina. Honestly. Oh man, amazing! She is remembered as one of the most well-educated women of the entirety of the 17th century. Uh, she knew about religion, philosophy, math, alchemy. She loved reading. I mean, yeah. She hung out with five popes. It's just another fact we can throw out there. Uh, if you would like to like to learn more, let us know. Uh, and maybe we can dive into the ups and downs of her life because she has adventures all her own, way past her mother. Uh, that's it for us today. Thank you so much, as always, to the one and only Mr. Max Williams, first of his name. Also, we want to shout out Mr. Alex Williams, who composed this slam and track. And uh, our old nemesis, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister, he loves a royalty episode. You know he sure does. Him? He sure does. He loves an upstairs, downstairs story. No question about it. Uh, and Ben, thanks to you um, uh, for the for the emotional support and comfort uh, as we trudged our way through this somewhat bummer of a story. Pack at you, man. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? 
We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com.